It's been a testy week for Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney, starting with the controversy over the Mummers Parade. We break down the issues and where it kind of leaves them. Let's get the inside story. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Tamala Edwards. Let's introduce you to the panel. We'll start with attorney A.J. Raju. Good morning. Good morning GOP insider Allison Young. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Attorney Jim Eisenhower. Good morning, Tamala. Good to see you. And law professor Jan Ting. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. You know, they say the way you start the new year is the way you spend the new year. <laughs> Poor Mayor <laughs> Kenny. He has had quite the new year. We'll get to a number of issues. Let's start with this one. So we've had the story of money missing from the budget, millions and millions of dollars. People talking about it. They said, we're going to do an independent audit, see if we can find this money. They did get that outside firm, and they said, look, we found 98% of the money. I do want to know where the other 2% <laughs> is. But we found most of the money, but they highlighted a number of concerns with the office. They turned in their report, sent it to the mayor, sent it to city council. Daryl Clark came out and said, this is a mess. As he went down the list, he notes that assessments in many sectors except for condos often are oft, and it's often the poorest people who are paying too much, while wealthier people are not paying enough. Even if you do first-time review assessment, they say, okay, we'll take another look at it. It can take months. People are left in limbo. And it said that they were failing in 11 of 18 responsibilities. <laughs> Clark said, Office of Property Assessment needs to be gutted. They need to hire new people. They need to get outside help setting up their procedures. Things need to be done differently. The mayor came back and said no based on faulty data, and one thing the report was missing was recommendations. How can the people there go about fixing this first? Who's right in this fight? Property assessments are a never-ending fight, yes. and it's because they're inherently imprecise, right? So I think something's worth this, I think something's worth that. Who's right? Well, how do you decide that? I mean, it seems to me, first of all, we shouldn't rely so much on property taxes. That's that's the downside. As long as property taxes are high, you're going to have constant arguments. There's no magic bullet that's going to solve this. I mean, I have a simple solution that's low cost, and that is use the private sector. There's Zillow and all these other companies <laughs> uh -huh. that are out there, and everyone uses them, right? If you want to estimate what the value of something is, you go online and check it. You know, the, the city should use all these private sectors, average them out, and say, this is going to be our default assessment. Low cost, right? And if you want to challenge on an individual basis, fine, go ahead and challenge it um, and state your reasons. But this is this ought to be our default option. I kind of think this cost. is uh, deja vu all over again. Uh, you may remember Mayor Nutter uh, tried to attack this mm -hmm. issue. We had the BRT in mm -hmm. those days. He brought in Rich Negrin, a uh, former colleague of ours, to, to uh, oversee, abolish the BRT, a moratorium on property taxes, set up a whole new system. You know, we're now six, seven, eight years down the road from that, and we're encountering these same difficulties. I think Jan has a, a, a great point. And I think what people want, what homeowners want, is just uh, fairness and consistency. They don't want to say, you, the house next door to me is valued, you know, uh, X times more right. than my house. It's not substantially different. Um, uh, otherwise, I think people are generally would be pleased or, you know, accept at the very least, the assessment they get. Do they really want that? Because I lived in Philadelphia <laughs> for a while, and I think everybody kind of knew when they got their tax bill, this is far too low, and that's fine. Let's just yes, leave it alone. Yes, well, you're right. Do you're they right. not in the want old days. it touched? I mean, you know, you can say we should fix it, but I feel as though there's a constituency out there that they're going to fight really trying to fix right. it. 
right? I mean, in the old days, uh, when my kids were younger, going to school, my friends would say, how can you live in Philadelphia with, uh, with having to pay for private school and the wage tax and all that? And of course, our, our little secret was, yeah, but our house is so underassessed. Right. Uh, if we lived a mile over the line to Montgomery County, we'd probably pay double the taxes. You and I used to live in the same neighborhood. Exactly. I know right. exactly what you're talking right. about. Let's also talk about the political implications. This report is pretty damning. Mm-hmm. Was the mayor's response, like this just says breakdown on every level, yeah. saying, well, faulty data. Was that the right response? And a year when you're going back to the voters and saying, I'm a good steward, was that the right response? Absolutely not. You know, I think that the mayor is facing so many challenges, perennial challenges over the numbers and the accounting in this administration. Budgets have been wrong. Revenue collection has been wrong. And now property assessments are wrong. For him to say faulty numbers, the buck has to stop somewhere and it stops with the mayor. And for him to just say, no, 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 it's all going to be fine. People are seeing through that. And I think the mayor's in trouble. And because does it run into what people think that either people are incompetent or corrupt in various office, <laughs> offices? Well, I, don't, I don't think the mayor's in trouble because incumbents uh, are fine in, in, in the city of Philadelphia. But I think to Jan's point and everybody else's points, if you look at in the private sector, good companies have process. Bad companies have goals. Politicians talk about goals. But our process in our municipal system is bad. We don't have a digital. We don't use Zillow. Banks use underwriting. When they do appraisals, they use right. mm-hmm. Zillow. Why can't we do that same uh, expectation for our public sector? That's what the taxpayers really I think. Do. I think looking at this, you know, in, uh, just in an isolated way is unfair to the mayor. I think overall the mayor's done a good job. Uh, the city is doing well. Uh, the economy's stronger. Uh, we're getting more tourists every day. We, the, down, the downtown looks yeah. great. Uh, 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 he didn't create that, though, no, 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 but, but, but he hasn't but done Jim, anything to fix that. But, Jim, here's, here's the issue. I think, look, I'm, I generally uh, believe that the mayor is doing his best to address a lot of the issues, and the goals are, uh, are, are spot on. But I think right now we're debating about his signature topic, whether it's soda tax or all of these issues, and we're gonna talk as about opposed that. to what the actual outcome was supposed to be, where the money is being spent. So I don't think, I think the mayor does have uh, some culpability here in terms of, is he showing results? Are we moving the needle on these things? And I think we're going the other way, not in the positive direction. Well, also, a lot of voting has to come down to how people feel, and it's emotional. It may or may not be on results or on specific issues. And another thing happened this week that is a hot-button topic that provokes an emotional response. The Mummers, as they do every New Year's Day, they had their parade. There was one act by the Finnegan's New Year's Brigade Comic Club. Now, they based it on a cartoon from the Daily News that showed Jay-Z walking the mayor, essentially saying he's the, the, he was the rapper's lapdog, that he got Kenny to reverse himself <clears throat> on moving Made in America off the parkway. They said they submitted the skit. It was vetted. They knew not to use blackface, that it would be an African-American. But many people saw it and thought it was blackface, including City Council President Daryl Clark, who put out a statement saying, this is terrible. Yet again, they've stepped in it. When it became clear what was going on, he came out and amended the statement and said this is ministry, uh, minstrel. See, Others said, based on the history of the group, this is terrible. And you're kind of left wondering who's right in this well, well, fight. Well, two things on that, Sam. First of all, uh, 
the mayor, my understanding is that the mayor's office uh, was told about the skit yes. in advance and, 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 and approved it, which shows to me that the mayor has a sense of humor and doesn't take himself that seriously and is, and is you know, is not, is not thin-skinned. Well, that's good. Um, secondly, uh, I spoke to Congressman Brady about this uh, over the weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, he is convening a meeting on Tuesday with the Mummers, uh, Daryl Clark, uh, Tony Williams, uh, possibly the mayor, uh, in, sort of to clear the air and mm -hmm. trying to make sure everybody understands what was meant, uh, why it may have been offensive to some people, and, and try and uh, move forward from the situation. Now, Anthony Hardy Williams and others have called on the Mummers and on Sugar House who sponsors the parade to apologize. Should they be forced to apologize, given that, as you point out, they did what was asked of them? They submitted a plan. They got it vetted. They did not use blackface. Should they still apologize? I don't think so. I mean, they did. How, how, do you, um, how do you come after someone for following all the steps, for the city saying it's going to be fine, for them not actually doing anything that was racially charged, and then you're still coming at them and saying, well, we just think it, 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 was, it was racially charged. The real apology here should come from Daryl Clark, because once it was pointed out to him that there wasn't someone in blackface, instead of him just calling, saying, you know, saying, you know what, you're right, I kind of screwed up here, he doubled down, called it racist again with a secondary statement because he thinks that riles up his base. I don't think that's helping anyone. Wait, wait, wait. To be fair, the other side of that is what he pointed out is a lot of the reaction is based on the history of the Mummers. Well, yeah. that, that is pretty that is fair. fair. Yep. Even mm -hmm. recently, performers in brown face portraying Mexicans. Mm -hmm. yep. There's an ugly history, this and I think that's why I'm... Yes. Philadelphia story for exactly yeah, that reason. Right. Only Philadelphia has the Mummers. Only Philadelphia has the history of the Mummers. Only Philadelphia has this high-charged racial atmosphere. Look at the, the demographics of Philadelphia, and, and uh, the, the racial divides are clear. People have said it's the most segregated big city uh, mm -hmm. in, in the United States, and I, I think that's part of the reality. Apologies are cheap, right? And one of the things I learned growing up is, hey, it costs you nothing to apologize, even if you think, I'm, I'm in the right here. But, John, but, I would disagree you know with you, and so. uh, you know uh, better than I do as a law professor, uh, slavery is called the original sin of our republic. It's enshrined in our constitution. Uh, uh, we are dogged by it and have been for 200 and some years, and it, it's not just the Philadelphia that, that faces uh, the this legacy. This is really the legacy of racism, slavery, Jim Crow, uh, and uh, I, I I think it's a little unfair to say that Philadelphia's unique in this. It's uh, I think you'd find different levels of it in many other well, places. I was just saying, apologies are due all around here. I but think, and the issue is the, the city subsidy for for the Mummers Parade. Uh, that's the core of the issue. Well, okay. I, I find you know it's an interesting devil's advocate kind of situation because you're saying it's a group that likes to spoof, mm -hmm. that likes to go up to the line. Are you saying they can never touch the hot button topics and if they did what you asked them to do and they get in trouble, have you decreased the reasoning for them to try to work with you? We're going to get in trouble anyway. Well, that is an absolutely fair point, and I think um, you you labeled it correctly with the line, and that's why I really don't think that it's on the members group to you know to have to apologize because they did everything they were asked to, and we just can't keep moving the line on them. There is part of um, comedy and spoofing that makes us uncomfortable sometimes. I don't even think this came close to that, though. I think it is a, an interesting story that the members tell that we have black members now, and that wasn't always the case in the past. So if we have you know members that are black and are participating in the parade, and we're still calling them racist, some of that on us. Yeah, but Did anybody want to defend Clark's point that given the history and others' <laughs> points, maybe you guys should just for a while stay away from race, sex, no, gender? I, I think it's understandable how if you're black in Philadelphia, 
you are going to see things that may not even be appearing just because of the mm. past, because of insensitivity, because of the racist uh, uh, tones that the Mummers Parade has, uh, has occupied in our history. Having said that, in this case, I think there was a uh, knee-jerk reaction and the reality was not exactly what they thought it was. Having said that, I don't know if an apology is needed, but the overall idea that we ought to be very sensitive and careful about not offending and not making others feel uh, horrible. I agree, uh, but this is, was is, is the lesson that we this was ready to fire aim from uh, Daryl Clark's office, and then when they doubled down, but on understand it, the then, line, that's not leadership. The line is always changing. You know where where offensiveness lies. Mm -hmm. That line is changing from time to time. It's not a fixed line, and so we need to be sensitive to that. Well, let's quickly add this that. in. Another headache for the mayor. Shoprite, Jeff Brown, who owns a number of them and other uh, chains, said he is closing down a signature store in West Philadelphia in what had been a food desert. He was known for really reaching out to the community, hiring ex-offenders, trying to be a good actor. He says the soda tax has really killed his revenue. He lost a million bucks based on that. More because people to go across the line to Delaware County ended up just buying all their groceries. Mm -hmm. yeah. The city came back and said, well, Study says that this does not impact this. You opened up another store nearby. Wawa's opened a store. We don't think this is an issue. But is this issue overall coming back to bite the mayor? He won legally. The Supreme Court says you can have the tax. But between Jeff Brown closing this down, it's going to impact that community. Black ministers saying we don't like the tax. Some black politicians talking about this. Is it opening up a front that the mayor needs to be worried about? I think so, and I think there's, um, some of us have seen polls in the last couple of weeks that there are viable candidates who are lining up to run against the mayor. The soda tax is going to be a major issue because there are pro-business um, PACs and others in this city who are saying the mayor has not met a tax he doesn't like and is driving business out of the city. So I think some of the soda tax um, detractors are going to line up some uh, um, some viable candidates against the mayor. I think this is a mayor. big issue only because the big beverage companies are pumping a lot of money into it and they see it as an existential threat uh, to their uh, continued way of doing business and, and making profits. And I think the, the, the merits of the issue are on the mayor's side. I think he's fundamentally right on this, that we have to be concerned about public health. We have to be concerned about rising incidence of diabetes and, and overweight kids uh, in our community. That raises the cost for everyone. Talking about our budgetary problems, they're going to they're continue to go But there's go big money the on both sides of this. My, I, my understanding is the study that you mentioned Bloomberg. was at least partially funded by Bloomberg, mm -hmm. who's a Against major that, right, national proponent of, of uh, sugary drink taxes. Right. Um, so that causes that to be somewhat in question. Uh, I have a question that this fellow owns a shop right. He's closing one down. He's hoping another one four miles away in the city of Philadelphia that's still subject to the same tax. Seems a little inconsistent with his position. Uh, but I do think uh, that A.J. is right that this will be, uh, as Allison as well, this will be an issue for the mayor to contend with uh, in his re-election bid. But also nationally, if you look at the trend, for the past 30 years, uh, consumption of uh, sugar uh, beverage taxes, sodas, has gone down 50 gallons per mm -hmm. capita in, uh, 30 years ago to, in 2017, 35 gallons per capita. What has replaced it? Water, bottled water. And now sh big companies, whether it's just like tobacco changed, uh, Philip Morris died, RGR Nabisco died. The overall health issue is that people are not switching to uh, you know, coconut water, energy <laughs> drinks, and water. Right. And that's what the trend should be. It should have been a health tax debate. What has happened instead is we're debating about a soda tax without talking about what the consequences were. We're supposed to solve pre-K. None of that. And jobs. 
And, and, uh, but this is where the mayor's office, you're absolutely right, has gone wrong and keeps citing this study. And I challenge anybody at this table or on the viewers yeah. to find the study, which you cannot find. You can find right. articles about the study. Yeah. Because right. the study was not done by economists or people that understand the beverage tax or supply chain. It was done by public health officials who are opposed to or, or who are for, for a sugary drink tax. And so that's why you cannot find the study because it hasn't been peer-reviewed. And I just don't think that the economics of this add up to what okay. the mayor's we office is trying to We've got to go to a to break, say. literally, with seconds to go. Is this just a bad week for the mayor, or is this ex showing him exposed in a way he needs to be concerned about come primary day? I, I, uh, I mean, I, this is a number yes, of issues yes, with people mad. I think yeah. he's exposed. You can't, you can't beat somebody with nobody. So, yeah, exactly. you know, I quality mean, of the opposition candidate, that's, I, that's what I, I will think decide the, this I think race. the city had a great uh, holiday season. There were hordes of people around the Dilworth Plaza, mm -hmm. right across the street from our law firm. Uh, the mayor showed uh, he took the high road on a, on a funny cartoon. If that's a bad week, you know, I think... Was he right to stay quiet? I that's one thing I forgot to mention. Everybody it. else was talking and he I pretty much stayed quiet. I think it's beneath the mayor's office to, to take petty personal attacks. I think what he ought to do is talk about the debate, debate the larger topics. I think he, his intentions are good on these policies. You should stick with the policy discussions. All right. Well, we got to take a, a short commercial break. We'll be right back to more Inside Story. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. So this week we saw Nancy Pelosi get the gavel back for a second time as the Speaker of the House. And it is a very different House than we have seen in the past. And so especially in terms of race and gender, you're taking a look at four of the women who that is the, the number of women who are being sent to the delegation from our area. And what a difference that makes. We've got 106 women overall, 43 people of color. Is this going to make a difference in what we see? I mean, right now we're sort of intractable argument, but will we see differences because of the way that women lead and the way that women compromise and the way that pe women do things? Are we in for more of the same, just wearing pastel colors? Uh, well, let me address the colors thing first, because you know, we're, while we were celebrating all these new women getting elected to Congress yesterday, the Washington po or getting sworn in this last week, the Washington Post still ran an article about the fashion on um, swearing in day. Like, just stop, okay? Um, but when it comes to how women lead, I hope so. I have a lot of optimism. This issue is near and dear to my heart. Getting women elected, women of both parties who are qualified, because frankly, we're you know, the science shows we're better negotiators, we're better at compromise, we're better deal makers, and I would love to see some policy issues getting forwarded in this Congress like equal pay and um, family leave. I hope well, so. Well, Fifty years ago, um, uh, we elected our first uh, black congresswoman who two years later founded with others the first congressional black caucus. The pipeline was important because of her and the work that she did and others, Congressman Chisholm. You know, we have now have a pipeline where others can now run and wish, but Unfortunately, after 50 years, we're still talking about whether women should be running, whether the percentage of the ratio between men and women legislators is appropriate. We still have a lot of growth mm -hmm. left, and I'm hoping that the pipeline will solve it. And maybe in our generation, we will never talk about, you know, are men and women equal or are they being treated fairly? But I think there's a chance that, that uh, the agenda will be driven by what these candidates ran on. Mm -hmm. And I was interest, interested to see Congresswoman Houlihan uh, from, I believe, up in Lehigh Valley was elected, and she talked about... Uh, she ran on kitchen table issues, what she called them. Uh, people sit around the kitchen table, and you worry about your budget, you worry about your kids in school, you worry about uh, are the roads safe, uh, public protection, uh, and those kinds of issues uh, are issues that really everybody cares about. Mm -hmm. And uh, if there's a group of women that 
can vote together and push the push those issues, I think there's a chance for success there. Well, it's a great thing that there are more than 100 women in the U.S. House of Representatives now for the first time. The reality is 89 of those women are from the Democratic Party. The growth of women in politics is overwhelmingly on one side of the political spectrum, and that's part of the reality uh, that I think our Republican friends need to uh, confront. That's absolutely fair criticism from Jan about the Republican Party. You know, this is something that is a party we've not done well, and that is um, support women in primaries. So the majority of women that we see that are expressing interest in races um, are um, of more moderate, and then they're getting defeated in primaries because those, uh, the people that win primaries are generally on the, on the outskirts. So the left has done a much better job of organizing around women in primaries, and the Republican Party is just starting to figure this out with young women like um, Elise Stefanik, who is, you know, a, a female right. member of Congress who and starting really to support women up. in primaries. Well, if you go to the Delaware River Gap Park right now, it is a mess. It's covered in trash, human waste, one of the many areas across our country that are suffering because of the government shutdown. Do we think that women maybe will be a factor in bringing this thing to some sort of end sooner rather than later? Because right here in our area, we are feeling the effect. Well, it was Nancy Pelosi who corralled her, uh, you know, a woman who corralled all the Democrats yesterday to vote to go home and not continue the work that they're doing. And eight of our nine local members of Congress voted with her to do that. So I'm not saying that Nancy Pelosi is going to be the one to solve the government shutdown. Well, I, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> if the women are responsible for the human waste or whether they should be cleaning it up, but I, I do <laughs> no, think No, they are not. Unless they gave birth to the people out there, no, they should not. Right. So I, I, I think I think the government shutdown is uh, delinked with the, uh, the overall logic of like whether or not the women are going to solve the problem. <laughs> They're completely two separate issues. Okay. Well, very quickly, of course, we'll all be watching the Eagles game this afternoon. <laughs> Regardless of how it goes, is there any way for the team to keep Nick Foles? Like, are we really going <laughs> to say goodbye to St. Nick? Who's the uh, sports expert here? No, no. I, I, here's the thing. I think you, one, one, I think we should have a very good backup in, in the NFL. Having a solid quarterback, they get hurt pretty quickly and having a second who can step up and win a Super Bowl is very important. We have Sudfeld as a third string, but having Nick as a backup to a Carson Wentz who's prone to injuries is not a bad thing it's for It's a salary a good, cap thing. Good, Do we think uh, he and Wentz would come together and say, we'll give back some money so we can both stay? <laughs> I hope so. We're, you know, I think we're not going to say Foles is going to leave, but, but, but it would be nice to have a well, backup like a... It's so much fun to watch Foles. Okay, we'll keep arguing about this. We'll go to commercial break and come back to more Inside Story. Six ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Time for Inside Stories, AJ. You know, Tam, last time I was on Inside Story, I highlighted a company called Aluminum Shapes because they're bringing local jobs, manufacturing jobs. South Jersey, for some reason, seems to be attracting these. Carnegie Farm is another company that I found that is bringing local jobs <coughs> in the pharma industry. We need more of that in Philadelphia, Allison. jobs that create employment. In the holiday shuffle, we, uh, lo I think everybody lost track of an, art an interesting article that came out about how we might have a Philadelphian in the White House next time around. So BuzzFeed News published an article about local philanthropist Richard Vague, who is running some um, public opinion um, polls and doing some focus groups in Iowa and some other states. And, you know, Richard is a, is a Philadelphia businessman. He's a venture capitalist. He's a philanthropist. And he's an interesting candidate. So who knows? We might, might wind up with a Philadelphian in the race. surprises. Jim. Tal, we're only a few days away from the inauguration of Governor Wolf for a second term, and already people are talking about who's going to succeed him. Uh, on the Democratic side, we're in a situation with three row offices held by Democrats. Josh 
Shapiro, Joe Torcella, Eugene DePasquale. Uh, they're all going to be leading candidates, but I think the one to look out for is Gene DePasquale. All right, in with you, Jen. Here in the Me Too era, the city of Philadelphia has just settled its most recent sexual harassment suit for $350,000. That's $5 million or $2 million over the last five years. If we stop the sexual harassment in city government, we can save the city some money. All right, and it would just be a good thing to do. All right, all right thank you, Jen, and thank you for watching, and from all of us, go Eagles. Right.